When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. It's rock and roll. Welcome to Study Smarter Fest 2021. This is our annual USMLE Step 1 Study Smarter series. This year is kind of warped to or themed, um, at least by design. But that's just for fun. Really, what are we doing? The usual thing that we do during dedicated prep season, we break down questions to help you learn on the go and help you to learn to think like a question writer. At least that's the goal. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Owen Muir, who is, uh, like, honestly, we just met recently and he has such a list of accomplishments and interesting facts about him. Definitely overqualified to be my interlocutor here. Um, but I'm going to let him say a little bit about himself, about what he does and um, the things he values the most professionally. So, I mean, the most important thing is I was a recording engineer before I was a doctor. Super important for a podcast uh, with another doctor. It's, it's, it's totally awesome. I, I love it. Um, I'm a, I'm a child adolescent adult psychiatrist. I, um, I have the distinction of having failed step one CS the first time I took it. Step two CS or? Step two CS, sorry. Uh, clinical skills exam. Appreciate that candor. So do the listeners. Yep. Um, and, uh, it was the most important failure of my life. I think I, I got more out of that than I did probably any other face plan. Um, I don't recommend it, but if you're going to fail it, you should have it alter your career in as positive a way as it did mine. So keep in mind, these are tests, and they're designed by people who design tests. They include CS, USMLE, Step 1, is a test. Which doesn't exist anymore. Really? Get rid of it. Yeah, they got, they, um, because basically the pandemic, they got rid of Step 2 CS. G good job, so. fuckers. 
Yeah, like like literally. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm just saying this, and probably in your mind, you're like, "What the?" No, no, it was, <laughs> it was it's a dumb test, um, and it's dumb because the test retest reliability is really poor. That's not true for USAssembly Step One, uh, Step Two, CK, etc. Right? If you take a test and you take it a month later, your score will be close to the same. I went from failing to being so exceptionally good that they could not display my scores on the chart, <laughs> which means it's not a reliable test. This question is a pretty reliable kind of question that you're going to see. And um, I do a bunch of stuff. I do transcranial magnetic simulation. I work with suicidal kids. I run to, yeah, two businesses to one degree or another. And um, Wait, two? Yeah. Nice. Me too. Self- I have... A, it's it's too many things, right? Yes. And I'm a doctor and other right. stuff. So um, keep yourself entertained is the long and short of it. Balance too. We I preach a lot of balance on this uh, podcast and throughout the platform. Um, I mean, basically because I am continually striving unsuccessfully to achieve it. And I'm hoping that at least people can learn like what not to do from my life. So... Um, there you go. There's a little bit of honesty here uh, today, too. So. We're all about the honesty. Yeah. So, how, with the format, do you read the question? We have a little chit chat between them, or absolutely, we- yep. So, we'll just launch into this first one, and um, these come from Physio Physiology by Physio is its own standalone podcast, and so is USMLE Step One Success Stories. Those are on the website. You know. So, all right. So, here we go. What are we trying to solve here? We're trying to solve what kind of operant conditioning the 17-year-old male is experiencing in this vignette, which is a 17-year-old male, is on his high school's football team as the receiver. He's distracted during practice because of a fight he had with his dad last night about college. As a result, he is dropping or missing many throws from the quarterback. His coach is getting very upset with him because there's a big game in two days. The coach has him uh, run one lap for every catch he misses or drops. What kind of operative conditioning is this 17-year-old male experiencing? I cannot relate to this at all. Just sports, not my thing. I get the principle, though. Yeah, right. Um, So, are they giving him, are they punishing him or rewarding him? That's the question we're trying to figure out, I guess. And are they giving something or taking something away? So, punishment is something aversive. Reward is something, you know, theoretically uh, reinforcing. Keep in mind, attention is a reinforcer, generally, for most humans. Here, what they're adding running when he screws up. So, uh, that's uh, a thing he probably doesn't want to do, running. And it's more of it. That's positive added punishment, something you don't want. Positive punishment would be the answer, is my guess. Boom. Awesome. Yep. So, what you just demonstrated was an excellent sort of uh, principle of test um, construction or or item construction for the MBME, and that is the cover the answers test. So, you should be able to arrive at the correct answer. Whether or not it's listed as a choice is a different matter, but you ought to be able to arrive at what is the correct answer, or I should, to be precise, correctly scored answer on an NBME exam by just reading the vignette and the interrogative. 
You don't need to see the answer choices. They should not add any other new information. Nope. If they do, it's a bad question. It's going to get thrown out. So our answer choices here, if you were not able, like Dr. Muir, to um, see what I'm actually looking at and also be a child psychiatrist and know this stuff, <laughs> they were A, positive reinforcement, B, positive punishment, C, negative reinforcement, and D, negative punishment. So, um, what if you were confused? What if, um, so, um, these are actually important concepts, like in my day to day work, actually. Yeah. Like one of the things that like actually matters, like, so parents will oftentimes feel like they're doing something that is a, a punishment for their kid and it's actually reinforcing what they're doing. Hmm. So if you're having a positive reinforcement, it could be yelling at your kid because the attention is reinforcing Hmm. the behavior. Uh, a, a, a negative reinforcement would be taking away something aversive. So, like, everyone else has to run laps, and now you don't. And a negative punishment would be uh, everyone gets ice cream at the end of practice except you. That'd be tough. Th- those are the hard ones to uh, follow through with as a parent. <laughs> yeah. FOMO is an incredibly effective punishment, which is why contingency management is such an effective modality in terms of helping yeah. people quit uh, substance use disorders. Right, you take away their loss sensitive. So you take away money they thought they were going to get if they don't stay clean. That was their money in the first place. So yeah, not uh, not omnipotent uh, means to solve that problem, but that's another another matter. So there's there's your warm up. We got a uh, little bit about classical conditioning, which does show up in the behavioral sciences section of step one. I, I would argue it almost always shows up because it's testable and they're right and wrong answers. And, and you said, and in real life, it shows up. It does show up in real life. That, that's one of the few things. Yeah, not everything yeah. on the exam does show up in real life. Yep. All right. Um, all right, the next one we've got is... An energetic 17-year-old male presents to the physician at the request of his teacher. His mother reports that he's been struggling at school, being disruptive, losing homework assignments, and being impulsive. She also reports having difficulty getting him to complete chores and homework because he gets distracted by other things. Mother reports concerns that he's started using cocaine with friends on weekends. Mother reports that he has been going on since elementary school, but his grades are now struggling to the point he may not graduate from high school. Mother reports a family history of heart disease in her mother, schizophrenia in her father, and substance use disorder in the patient's father, grandfather, and older brother. What's the most appropriate initial treatment to begin once a diagnosis has been finalized? So, this is one of those... What about, um, yeah. um, for this one, I'm not going to show what answer choices are written for this particular question. Right. Yeah. So, what we're looking for is the treatment for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which they gave us all of the symptoms for, uh, the family history that does not breed true, but has significant genetic loading for that thing the co-occurring substance use disorder that is most likely with that thing. And uh, so we have a, a kiddo here who has, uh, my guess is, the answer choices are treatments for ADHD. And we know from the MTA trial, which is a trial of 1,400 attempted patients that was stopped early by the Investigational Review Board because it was unethical to continue its, its uh, enrollment because stimulant treatment for ADHD turned out to be so much superior to behavioral therapy alone that it was unethical to continue to provide children with only behavioral therapy and not methylphenidate, which should be the answer to the question. Here are the answer choices. So A, family therapy, 
B, counseling and tutoring. C, methylphenidate. D, adamoxetine. And so you were saying C, methylphenidate is the answer? So I'm saying this is a, this is a, a situation where you have a kid who's using a stimulant, cocaine, as a drug, right? As a drug of abuse. And so the contention for, for this question is, uh, and, and I, you know, if you see the question and the kid's using cocaine, you can answer adamoxetine on the test because it's a non-stimulant. The actual answer is to effectively assess and treat the child's ADHD. And the most effective medications to do that will be stimulant medications, either mixed amphetamine salts or methylphenidates. Probably in clinical practice, Vyvanse is what you'll see used most commonly in this context um, because it has abuse deterrent properties. But Stratera is like as a, it's about 30% as effective as stimulants. And if you want the kid to stop using cocaine, treat his ADHD is the actual answer. Uh, and I'm the guy who's the narrator of the module on substance use disorder in adolescence for the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. So that may be the board answer, but in clinical practice, I'll disagree with it. I think actually you're probably correct too in board's land as well. Like, I mean, the thing is like the medicine is gray. That's why medicine is an art first and not a science first. You, you can't do black and white mathematical precision in medicine. Um, but on the boards, you have to make medicine that way and fit it into that mold. You're asking the question, why did they put cocaine in the question stem? Because if they didn't put cocaine in the question stem, you're going to answer methylphenidate no matter what. Since they put it in, oh, wait, am I supposed to do something with that? And the answer on a test is yes, do something that's not addictive. But in two years, three years, four years, hopefully that changes. We will have data that yes, says that's agreed, inaccurate. Agreed. And and the better outcomes at preventing long-term substance use disorders are from treatment stimulants. So sidebar, getting to talk to a uh, psychiatrist on this, there's a paradigm shift. We are going to be doing an Addiction 101 series on our main uh, podcast here. I don't know when this is published. It'll probably be a month after this is published. And is it true that for like a cocaine use disorder, you can think of the methylphenidates and amphetamines as analogous to like the MAT, uh, you know, methadone and buprenorphine that we see? So I don't, I don't think so. I think, uh, I think it's more akin to okay. treating the underlying disorder, which led to the person to choose cocaine as their drug of choice in the first place. Since elementary school, mind you, in this question. Right. And so, like, where he was getting coke in elementary school is an open question. Right. But the thing is, cocaine isn't that different pharmacologically from methylphenidate or amphetamine salts. When you snort those things, you get rather rapid absorption into the, into the brain. Um, now, if cocaine came in tablet form, like desoxin, right, which is methamphetamine, uh, you could probably have that prescribed as an ADHD med at some point in time. Because people with ADHD respond differently to stimulants than other people. It's not to say it, cocaine's a good ADHD med. It's not. It's got the wrong pharmacokinetics. It's got the wrong, you know, profile. But it, it does work in a similar way. It increases dopamine in the orbital prefrontal cortex. And that treats inattention and hyperactivity, impulsivity in people with ADHD. So when you talk to adult ADHDers on cocaine, they'll tell you, yeah, I just kind of calm down. Helps me focus. I don't seem to go off the walls like my friends, but they do say I use a lot of it. So, as a first year, uh, second year, kind of thinking about these things, um, because I thought this way, 
what, why? Like, walk me through how to think about that. Because when I think of somebody on speed or some other like uh, medicine or um, rather drug that uh, is a stimulant, I think of them getting all keyed up. I think about like, oh, cocaine. Yeah, they're like all over Except the place. People with ADHD don't get keyed up like that. Why? They have, uh, they have you know, a, a different brain. Okay. <laughs> and, and there are a bunch of reasons for that different brain. Is it too complex um, for the second years? Or uh, I mean, when it comes to this question, what, what you're seeing is there's lower dopaminergic tone in the orbital prefrontal cortex, which says, hold on, stop, let's think about it. There's less myelinated connections between the midbrain and the OPFC. And there's more dopaminergic activity in the mesolimbic pathways. Okay. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So, um, another trick here is there's a schizophrenia history in the father and substance use disorders and everybody. So, you're supposed to be more conscious of methylphenidate. The data actually doesn't bear that out. Um, you're more likely to develop substance use disorders in youth if you don't treat the ADHD. If you don't treat the ADHD. Really? Interesting. Man, fun facts. Yeah. So, that's the best way to prevent the development of substance use disorders in kids with ADHD okay. is to treat it cool. robustly. Good to know. That's that's useful. You can use that one in real life too and parents, because I'm sure parents yeah, come and they're life. like, I don't want to put my kids on anything. And you're like, oh, well, your mm -hmm. you know, kid can't function. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, it's, it's something, you know, it's like, what are the awful things we're preventing from happening? Uh, here's a personality sort of question. These are my favorite. Ooh. Me too, actually. An 11-year-old boy has an eight-month history of a bad attitude with intermittent outbursts of anger. He says that school is dumb and that his teachers are all stupid. He has a history of directly disobeying both his teachers and parents and has frequently left class to go to the bathroom but never returned. His attitude has made his parents very concerned and they wonder if he might do something bad to his classmates or siblings because he is always saying how he wants to get back at them for the small things they've done to him. What is the appropriate diagnosis for the child? Ooh. So we have a kid um, who's got some problems. And this is where there are DSM diagnoses that are going to be the answer. And then there's what's actually wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what you're going to see here is you're going to see some things. So... Antisocial personality disorder is not the answer because by definition in the book, 18 and up and a previous history of conduct disorder is required. So, we can throw that right out. So, choice A is antisocial personality disorder. B yep. is ADHD. That's C's probably the real answer, by the way. So, ADHD is co-occurring with the actual answer here, which we'll get to. But that's really common and... Uh, any comprehensive evaluation of a child is going to involve an evaluation for that in this context, because why is he being such a pain in the ass? <laughs> Conduct disorder requires a repeated pattern of violation of the rights of others, but not just adults that you're saying F you to. It also has to involve violations of the rights of peers and, and transgressions across a number of categories. We don't have that here. And I would argue on the boards, it requires fire starting or harm to animals. Yes. Almost universally. 
Right. And those are, and those are, those are the callous, unemotional trait things that say this is a budding psychopath child and everyone gets scared. Um, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder or DMDD is a diagnosis that was made up to say Joe Biederman uh, stopped diagnosing children with bipolar disorder. Um, but we don't have those criteria here. You will remember them for the boards, and then I hope you prom- promptly forget them, because I've literally never seen a case of that. And oppositional defiant disorder, uh, ODD, is the answer to this question, because we have a kid who's vindictive, opposing parents, uh, truancy, you know, in minor ways, he's young, etc. This is a kid who wants to stick it to grownups, but not to his peers, and that's called ODD. All right. So let's say you were like torn. You're like, ah, because uh, to me, there's a most there's always like a most attractive distractor. Well, not always, but for the most part on an exam. And let's say you were torn between ODD, conduct disorder, ADHD. What parts right. of the vignette? I have no symptoms described here of ADHD other than things I would impute would happen if. Somebody had the diagnosis. If there's an underlying condition. So he's got intermittent outbursts of anger, right? And I don't get to ask the kid why. If I did, I might find out there are some underlying symptomatology. But I can't do that. So this is a test question. I can't say there's ADHD. There's no inattention. There's no hyperactivity. There's no impulsivity, except what I might imagine. And imagining doesn't answer test questions. ASPD, it can't be because these kids are not 18. Only personality disorder where 18 is the criteria. Only one. But there it is. Conduct disorder. No fire setting, no torturing animals. Next. Um, and uh, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. We don't have six months of symptoms. So, no thanks. ODD. Yep. We actually think of that as a parent-child interaction problem. All right. So, the next one's a 14-year-old female brought to her p- pediatrician for, quote, behavioral issues. Her mother states that her daughter has been out of control since she was 13. Patient admits to skipping classes, disrespecting teachers, and stealing items out of people's cars in various parking lots. Patient has been to juvenile detention twice for shoplifting and three times for fighting at convenience stores. Uh What is the most likely diagnosis in this patient? Is it A, oppositional defiant disorder, B, conduct disorder, C, antisocial personality disorder, or D, just your normal teenage behavior. Yeah, and this is the kind of question that like enforces racial hegemony. I hate to say <laughs> it. Like we don't have the we don't have the 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 ethnicity of the child or the trauma history or the socioeconomic status or all the things that are actually contributing to this. But um it's not oppositional defiant disorder because she's doing stuff to people other than just grown up authority figures. This is what conduct disorder looks like. Uh, she's shoplifting, violating the rights of others, stealing stuff. We don't know if she's starving, any of those things, right? So we have uh, we 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 have enough information to make a DSM diagnosis, and we don't have any why to understand why the child is doing these things. So making a conduct disorder diagnosis will get you the right answer. And when your child psychiatrist, if you go no further, you're not doing your job. There you go. That one's pretty simple. It's not normal behavior. Most kids don't end up in juvie. Right. She's not 18. It's not ASPD. Got it. Now, what were you saying? Uh, that you can't 
diagnose um, a personality disorder. Now I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying it's an insuff- it's an insufficient. I'm kind of a, lead- a leading question here because y- you have to be 18 to get the ASPD diagnosis, but correct. not necessarily for the others. Is that correct? Yes, borderline can be younger. Yeah, that's important. Any of the others can be younger, not ASPD. Yeah. So you guys can take that one to the bank, to the question bank. You can take that one to the question bank. To the question I can't bank. believe I've yep. never used that. Um, all right, couple more here for our, our rapid fire breakdown. Some site question review. Or you can take this one, Ellen. A 15 year old girl is diagnosed with severe anorexia. She's admitted to a treatment facility to undergo the refeeding process. After a few days after beginning treatment, she starts to develop rhabdomyolysis, confusion, and high blood pressure. What ion is contributing to her rhabdo? And so you have to know something about refeeding syndrome here, which is some classic adolescent medicine stuff. And what happens when you refeed someone too rapidly is that there is uh, a rapid excretion of insulin, which causes movement from the extracellular space to the intracellular space of potassium ions uh, with the insulin release. The insulin spike drives potassium out of the blood. And so, uh, we also have co-occurring phosphorus and magnesium in the process, and the phosphate gets pushed along too. And so, if you don't have the phosphate levels correct, you're going to get rhabdo and the tachyarrhythmias or heart, you know, attacks that can happen are from the potassium. Got it. So, and, and notably, the, the phosphate, potassium, and magnesium will all be depressed, right? Uh, the, I don't know the answer to that. I believe they're all going to be depressed with the insulin release. Yeah, I, if I remember correctly, you have to re- you have to replete all of them, and you have to measure all of them to make sure if you need to replete them. Because if not, in refeeding, right, things cool. will go back. Um, all right, break down all of the pathophysiology of rhabdomyolysis. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna. I won't make you do that. <sighs> See, we're attending, so like it's like looking back on this stuff. Yeah. It's it's um we remember what it was like and how, frankly, shitty it can be to uh-huh. feel like I have to know these things, like individual, discrete, like chunks of medical knowledge. And then you're an attending. It's just like this whole gestalt practice where you just reflexively do the right thing all the time, right? Isn't that how we practice? And the question is like, sick, not sick. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Is this a sick kid? Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong? Let's get some labs. All right, cool. Ask the medical student which labs we should get. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's another one on um, eating disorders. Uh, have a 19-year-old woman comes to the clinic, fatigue and abdominal pain, reports that she typically eats a lot of food but exercises two to three hours each day to make up for the food she eats. Her physical exam is within normal limits and her BMI is also normal. What's the most likely diagnosis? And we have the whole list of things here, anorexia nervosa, uh, is choice A, B is bulimia nervosa, C is binge eating disorder, and D is pica. And so we know it's not anorexia nervosa because the BMI is within the normal range. The person has a compensatory behavior, exercising, which counts, and so it's not binge eating disorder. Pica is eating inanimate objects that leaves us with bulimia nervosa. Boom. Nice. I feel like there's the very simple... Um, very simple presentations you have to know about eating disorders for step one level, I'd say. And it, lots of things are just kind of definitional, definitional, you know, the, the lexicon of medicine. Um, 
So, um, breakdown like anorexia is some criteria that they can take to the Q bank. Lower the normal BMI. Eating disorder with lower than normal BMI. Boom. Anorexia. Yep. Pre- well, pretty. Yeah. All right. So then bulimia. Eating disorder with normal BMI. Compensatory behaviors to burn calories. Usually that's either binging or purging or excessive exercise. Sometimes laxatives. Uh, binge eating disorder. Um, eating too much. Some of the time, the answer is Vyvanse as a treatment if you're on a test. <laughs> it's still the FDA approved treatment for binge eating disorder. All right. Perfect. And then pica is pretty, yeah, you got that one. So Rocks are delicious. Mm, yum. Anything else like essential that you think like, oh, I would really like to throw out this knowledge bomb for this, the people preparing for step one before we conclude here. Learn it. Uh, and But I mean, the most important thing about preparing for step one is not killing yourself in the process with like studying too much and never taking a break. You're not going to learn this if you don't sleep. So the literal most important thing to do is get enough sleep in the process of studying for step one. And if you think you might have ADHD, now is the time to get that treated. I did not do that until I was a child psychiatry fellow, but it turns out I definitely have ADHD. <laughs> and that made step one studying a lot harder. Interesting. Very interesting. I have ADHD too. I was homeschooled um, for most of my life. And then um, it wasn't until med school, like about second year, where I was like, oh, my like ability to compensate has um, been exceeded by the floodgates of knowledge that <laughs> we call it hitting the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here's the important part. Step one's not the last time you're going to see this shit, right? If it's important, it's going to come up so many goddamn times in the course of your career as a doctor. You're going to learn it for this, but you're going to learn it a million more times to come. And if it's not important, you won't. So this question we have on the screen in front of us about nightmares and PTSD. Oh, yeah. I mean, the answer is true. But it's not the only answer anymore. We now have the development of the Nightwear Apple Watch app, which is the first digital therapeutic in PTSD, which my friend Dan Carlin's company came up with. Actually, the I had this up because I, I wanted to tell the um, tell the guys that they have uh, this incorrectly um, noted as wrong because it should be Prazosin based on these. Choices. It should be Prazosin. Yeah, and. Prazosin is not the only answer anymore. Yeah, so we're basically looking now at a question on screen of an active duty military patient who has PTSD and is having nightmares. And the question is, what treatment will help address nightmares? And mm -hmm. so he, he, uh, Dr. Muir can see that Prazosin is marked as wrong mm -hmm. on my screen, but it should be keyed correctly. And because I am a good citizen of the world... Uh, I'd like to think, and because I want uh, Michael and the guys from Physio to know what's up, I'm going to forward this along to Steve at Physio so they can correct it. There's actually a third answer for this now, which is neurofeedback, which Bezel Vanderkoek's group is uh, working with me on, actually, as uh, getting up to scale. So For uh, trauma stuff? Yeah. Or just sleep in general? Yeah, trauma stuff specifically, but... Um Half of what you're going to learn is wrong. We just don't know which half. <laughs> get the answer right so you can get to the next part. Take care of your patients. That's the real point. Yep. Um, learn to think clinically. And I will say this. You can learn the anatomy of a clinical judgment and how to make them yourselves, especially by interacting with uh, physicians who do it well. Um, from some limited interactions I've had with Owen here, uh, I think that 
you could benefit from learning from him. So for you who are on Clubhouse and honestly, med students, Clubhouse is super helpful for kind of small group learning, like studying, um, uh, you know, taking your questions about questions or concepts um, that you're studying for step one. Uh, join Clubhouse. It's only Apple uh, device uh, right now. If you want an invite, uh, it's invite only. I'm sure um, I have an, a number left and I pop into a USMLE group and uh, uh, go over questions on there from time to time. And Dr. Owen Muir is at... At Sphere, which is also our Sphere. club. At Sphere. Okay, cool. What do they do? At Sphere. Sphere is moving the conversation about mental health forward. All right. So, at Sphere on Clubhouse or Twitter at... At Owen Muir, MD. And it's M-U-I-R. Yep. Thanks for listening. Uh, more Step 1 study all across the platform, insidetheboards.com slash study smarter. And also, go check out Dr. Muir's podcasts. You've got a few of them, right? Yep. Um, a remotely possible, colon, uncertainty, anxiety, and existential despair. Um, and the rest of the shows I'm on, you can find on www.drowenmuir.com. There we go. Thanks. Appreciate you for joining us. Appreciate you for having me. Study up. It's worth it. Your patience will be pleased. 